If you had an idea to set up your own business 10, 15, 20 years ago, the number of people you needed to get permission from to do that was huge. And that's flipped completely on its head. And the number of businesses we now have in the UK um, compared with 20 years ago was huge. It's, it's grown by something like 60% in that time. On today's podcast, we are talking to Gary Turner. He's the MD of Zero. This is Tech Talks, your twice weekly technology podcast featuring interviews with leaders from across our sector. So if you're interested in tech and want to know a little bit more, this is the podcast for you. Joining me on today's show are Ali and Evie. They will be here for some post-interview analysis. Our normal introduction, I'm afraid, was corrupted when we came back to reviewing the recording. So you're just getting me for a couple of seconds. It's a shame because Ali was incredibly excited about the fact that Billie Eilish is going to be recording the James Bond song. Uh, That said, we couldn't really find any tenuous link between Blue Monday and Scotland, where Gary comes from for the interview. We got stuck around Manchester. So it's probably... It's probably best that you're saved having to listen to us ramble for a couple of minutes. So here's the interview and afterwards we will, of course, have some comments and some news later in the show. Today we're joined by Gary. Gary, you are the MD Amir, although not quite Amir, as I'm sure you'll describe in a second, for Zero. Uh, And you've been in that role since you co-founded the business in 2009, roughly? Yep. Was it founded 2009 or just that's where you kind of came so, out of the shadows as a, so product, the sto- as a product? So, so the story of Zero actually goes back about a, a year and a half beyond that. Um, and so I actually started in New Zealand, uh, Zero um, listed on the stock exchange in New Zealand in June 2007 mm. um, with a view to building a product, getting a product ready to, to go to market. Um, and, and once they'd built that prototype product, then it was a case of we want to take it internationally. Um, and so the business had been going for a year or so in New Zealand, had probably got to about a thousand customers, a couple of thousand customers, and then raised another chunk of capital to then go and expand internationally. And so we're still technically headquartered in New Zealand. The kind of origin story is very much New Zealand, but we're, we're now much bigger outside of New Zealand. Hmm. Uh, and I came on board in 2009 to get the UK business up and running. As we alluded to at the beginning, you look after the UK uh, you also mentioned before recording that you look after South Africa, but you do interact with the global team at the same time. Absolutely. So I have two roles now, uh, 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 and a big part of my focus in day-to-day is still um, being, being on the spot for our growth in the UK and making mm-hmm. sure our business is growing and, and doing everything it needs to do there. But I also um, have another job in Zeta Zero, which is on our global leadership team, um, working on global strategy and where we're taking the business over the next five years. And so I kind of split my time between this time zone during the day uh, and then a couple of nights a week um, or I'll be on a plane every every quarter to somewhere else in the world to meet up with my global peers and working on global strategy. So we, we call it EMEA because that's one of these bloody kind of <laughs> names that you give a region. You've got Americas, you've got Asia Pacific and you've got Europe, Middle East and Africa, yep. which you abbreviate down to EMEA. And for us, that's UK and South Africa. Uh, but we have customers in hundreds of countries around the world. Now, you mentioned that you're trying to grow that business in the UK. What we haven't really defined is what that business is and what Zero do. So I think um, if, if, like 10 years ago, if we'd sat down, um, I probably would have anchored our identity and the definition of that in the world of accounting software. Mm. You know, so it was very much... Uh, the accounts department would sit and they'd load up some PC-based software that would do their accounts and do your VAT return and manage your invoices and everything else. And it was very much a complex, unapproachable 
something like a chore, certainly if you're a small self-employed business owner, the kind of thing you'd leave to the Sunday afternoon or the dining table at home to try and what, what we'd characterise as like binge bookkeeping. You know, you haven't done your accounts for two months, you've got your VAT return to do, you've got your tax return to do, and you keep putting it off and put it off and put it off, and then you'd finally do it. And the old world of accounting software was very much like that. Either you were a big company and you were too complicated that you needed it, or you needed it for compliance. Now, um, the world of managing your business has been largely democratized thanks to technology like smartphones, tablets, and cloud-based um, software such as Xero. So Xero is an application you access online. There's no software to install, a very much a contemporary software experience um, that you run on in, in a coffee shop, uh, in an airport departure lounge, on the train, on the way in, or in, on, on the phone in your pocket. Um, and it is much friendlier and easier to use than traditional mm. accounting software would have been. It's also less expensive in most cases. You pay for it as you use it, so you pay monthly, and if you don't want to use it anymore, you unsubscribe, so you don't have this risk of spending hundreds of pounds on this package that you can't use. Uh, and because it's online, it completely transforms how easy it is to connect it with other services. And so we can connect zero with your bank, so your daily bank transactions come down automatically. Um, we have over 800 apps and tools and products and the ecosystem that connect with the APIs. We've always had an open API. And so the world of running your business today, thanks to products like Xero and this new way of working, is very different from accounting software. I think we probably still exist in the Yellow Pages section under accounting software. Is this still a Yellow Pages? Who knows? <laughs> um, but it's it's much broader than that now. And, uh, and, and, and the kind of... Well, over so years we've been going, we've managed to attract over 2 million businesses to the platform. Now, you don't have a background in accountancy. Your background before this, the kind of sectors and the businesses that you work for, what, what kind of areas did you work in previously? So, so I've always been a software. Yeah. Um, and um, I've always been, uh, began my career in uh, IT services business up in Glasgow, where I originate. Um, and, and kind of learned the world of business management and accounting through the lens of software, through the lens of solving problems for businesses with technology and with software. When you're describing Xero, you said kind of 10 years ago, you might describe it as this. How do you describe it now? If someone comes in for an interview at Xero, you're a software guy. You're working in a firm that is a software business enabling accounting. Do you kind of say we're an accounting firm or do you say we're a software firm that happens to work in the accountancy space? So we're definitely not an accounting firm because right. we don't really provide accounting services as such. We're not accountants. We're not doing your tax return for you. What platform. we're doing is we're, we're a platform first yeah. and foremost. And so we very much <clears throat> conform to the definition of being a platform with multiple stakeholders and participants and service providers on the platform. The core of that platform is accounting data and business activity data. And we certainly solve many of the problems that old accounting software solve. Um, but on that platform, there's a plethora of things that you can connect and, and, and connect with zero and use to help you run your business way beyond the realms of just accounting. So I suppose the obvious question is, as someone who works in software, there's a huge range of opportunities available for you in, in, in the current world. Why stay here for over a decade? What what attracted you about zero in the first place? Well, I've been in this business now for thirty years, and and uh, and my fun, fundamentally my, my what defines my passions are fifty uh, percent. I'm just a complete nerd. Love technology. Have always loved technology. Has mm. been a huge passion for me. 
the magic of software, the magic of building something with bits and bytes and and, and, and digital um, solutions to problems is something that I'm incredibly uh, passionate about and I've developed a fluency for. Uh, and then the other 50% comes from um, a kind of formative experience early in my, my, my life when as a teenager growing up in a family business up in Glasgow, my parents ran their own business, my mum went, went to college to learn how to be a bookkeeper to do the, the business accounts. And I kind of got first-hand experience of what it's like running a small business. So I'd hear the conversations over the dinner table every night mm. and my dad would come home and talk about all the challenges that small businesses face, getting their money in, people paying their bills on time, all the classic things even yep. in the 1980s still prevalent today. And then uh, regrettably our my parents' business failed and we had mortgaged the house and lost everything. So I experienced business failure at the age of 16, 17. And I think that's really shaped my passions. So, so I've basically, it turns out, I've taken those two fundamental things that have, have defined me and built a career of it. And, and so therefore, the idea that we've now taken zero in the UK to over half a million businesses gives me a real sense of satisfaction commercially because um, we're, we're kind of helping businesses with technology, which which really floats my boat. But we're also helping businesses succeed and avoid failure. Mm. We are a small business economy. Like more than 50% of the GDP comes from SMBs. Nearly two thirds of employment comes from SMBs. 99% of all businesses in the UK are SMBs. There's 5.8 million businesses in the UK. The number of businesses in that 5.8 million who employ more than 250 staff, there's 7,500 in the UK. We are a massively bottom-heavy SMB economy. And and that's a huge, a huge and, and, and exciting problem to try and solve for. Mm. And, and if you can imagine, if we just by enabling small businesses to manage their affairs more effectively, understand where they are financially, avoid this binge bookkeeping way of working and actually do a little often and do it in their phone, do it in a coffee shop, keep on top of their financial affairs. If we can affect even a 5% improvement in the productivity rates of hundreds of thousands or potentially over a million businesses, that has a macro economic impact, which I think is fascinating. And so I'm really inspired by, by all of that, but specifically, how can we help businesses and therefore the economy prosper? See, I suppose you could go in two different directions in that if, you, if you've got this platform and it's successful, and it's got lots of, lots of customers on it, one of the big consultancy firms could come along and buy you and then make you part of their, their product offering and maybe you'd end up then serving different types of customers. But then if you look at ZeroCon last year, one of your partnerships was with TransferWise, right? Which I suppose speaks to wanting to work with organisations who are similarly in that space and dealing with those kind of customers. Yeah, I think the world is different now. I think if Zero had started in 1997 and not 2007, we probably would have been acquired by somebody in the first five years because mm. the old kind of distribution channels that were available to you generally meant scale and capital and distribution networks are really important. That is, that's not the same online. I think the idea of building a business, building a cloud product, whether it's zero or anything else, and, and you have instant access to huge distribution just natively because you're a web app, means that you don't need to, provided you have capital, you don't need to kind of piggyback somebody else to, to, to get to your market. And we certainly experienced that. And so we've grown organically to that and we're over 2 million businesses globally. Um, and, and in the UK, as I say, we, we passed by in 2019, we passed by half a million businesses and we're growing at a rate of 50% year on year. And so what's exciting for me 
notwithstanding all of that stuff I've spoken about, like the mission and the purpose and helping helping the economy, is that uh, 10 years in, we're still in hyper growth. Mm. And that is an incredible basket of challenges, managing people, managing culture. How do you take a business that 10 years ago had three people in it and was doing £50,000 a year and a business in the next year or two will be doing over 100 million revenues in the UK, will be past 500 employees. Just that's such a really stimulating problem. And the fact that I've been able to shepherd the business through those stages of growth, um, I think is really exciting. And so 10 years is the longest I've ever done anything in my career. But my job changes dramatically about every nine, 12 months. It's it's interesting that you kind of touch on those ideas of what would it be like in 1997? Kind of if you think about what it, what it means to actually run a business like yours today versus then. You talk about scale back then. Earlier on in the interview, you were talking about the ability to democratise, which is a term that we now talk about quite frequently, kind of in the last, certainly in the last two, three years, how technology democratises and enables and facilitates. And that kind of fits a whole a whole different worldview to one that existed maybe 10 years ago. Yeah, you, if you had an idea to set up your own business 10, 15, 20 years ago, the number of people you needed to get permission from to do that was huge. You had to go to your bank and have a business plan and hope that they'd give you a line of credit and maybe give you some investment. Probably not, but you literally had to apply to be an entrepreneur. Uh, you had to go and find an office. You had to go and hire people. You had to go and buy telephony and fax machines just to switch the lights on. And that's flipped completely on its head. And the number of businesses we now have in the UK... Um, compared with 20 years ago, it's huge. It's, it's grown by something like 60% in that time um, and will pass by 6 million in, in the next year or so. And so uh, I think, the and the internet in parallel has empowered so many people, well, I, I can run my own podcast, I can run my own social media, I can yeah. write my own blogs on LinkedIn. You, you don't need that same permission and I think that's caused a huge explosion and, and there's many more businesses and entrepreneurs that are flourishing in entrepreneurship now is a career choice, a career pathway. We regularly bump into businesses and, and this common pathway is that they're working for a bank, they're working for a large company, they've been to university, they've got a whole other university kind of uh, student debt um, and they're kind of grinding out in, in some large enterprise. And by night, they're building a little side hustle. They're writing eBooks. Uh, they're they're setting up an online distribution business for craft beer, and 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 they can do that at the same time as running their job. And then eventually, the side hustle becomes the hustle, becomes the main hustle. And the number of businesses that are now coming to market progressively over a one or two year period, where they're paying the mortgage, they're paying the rent, they're putting food on the table while they build their side hustle into something, I think has been a big contributor to that. Where do you see it going in, in kind of 10 years? Look, it's 2020 and the beginning of 2030. Is it just a case that technology continues to get cheaper, you know, connectivity improves? So obviously with 5G coming soon, who knows where we might be in a decade's time. The need to be maybe located centrally in an office in London might diminish and you kind of see co-working spaces booming like they are now. Is it just... Is it uh, an extension of the trends that we're seeing now, or do you think there might be something more fundamental? I'd shift, love to be shifting? clever enough to know the answer to that. Um, <laughs> you probably earn a lot of money, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, you would. Um, I, I think, uh, so, so if you continue to say, well, why doesn't everybody become an entrepreneur, then mm. is that tenable? I'm not sure. I think there'll be a natural limit on it. That you'll still need people, and so people will still want the security of going and getting a kind of day job and, and, and having, having the salary paid. But I think um, 
removal of friction. So this democratization, a big part of it is uh, uh, automating a lot of it, cutting out the middleman, cutting out the necessary friction that you would have seen previously, um, means that therefore the effort required for an entrepreneur to run a business is fractional compared with mm -hmm. what it would have been 20 years ago. Now, will that mean they have a better quality of life because they can be flexible and they can work wherever they want, they can work from home, they can work in a co-working space and run a great business? Or will that make them more industrious and so that they can run five great businesses? Right. Yes. You know what I mean? So, so, that, so in the same amount of time and effort, they can run five. They can, they can run a coffee shop and five Airbnbs and a consulting business and a podcast and ebooks. So, so I'm not clever enough to know which way it's going to go, but having been in this industry for so long, I know that I think it will profoundly change. I think when you consider how effortless it is now to set up and run a business and manage it and keep on top of your affairs compared with just 10 years ago, um, it's unfathomable. Um, how different I think it will be in 2030, which is exciting and which gets me going. And I think, well, this technology and helping solve problems is not going to die out anytime soon. And so that's where my kind of motivation comes from. So very last quick points to end on. If we're going to roll it back to the here and now, what, what are the next, well, what, what are the things that are kind of going to keep you occupied for the next six months of the year anyway here at Zero? My goodness, six months is a long time in zero. Uh, <laughs> we, we're, we're launching, we're launching a new product, yep. um, which we think will go down really well um, for, for accountants to help them kind of manage the clients more effectively, particularly when it comes to getting those boring old tax returns done. I think we've just seen uh, uh, prior to the change of government and and all the Brexit shenanigans. Um, HMRC launched a big initiative called Making Tax Digital last year. It's been coming for about three or four years and has been largely successful. And so I think one of the interesting dimensions for the next two or three years, if not the next six months, will be what, um, how aggressively digital is the government going to be uh, and what part do businesses like Zero or entrepreneurs have to play in that. Um, and then, then, then when I'm not thinking about what might happen on a medium time frame, um, I'm fully employed running a business that's growing at the rate we're growing at and hiring people and making sure that we keep our, the culture and the focus and the values that we had when we were a startup, now that we're the scale that we're at is a, is a full-time job in itself. And so um, I'm occupied by recruitment, building out teams, thinking about the structures and thinking about the initiatives that we need to build to keep our business growing at the rate that it's growing. So a lot to do. Well, look, I, I fully appreciate you giving up some time at the beginning of this year to have a quick chat with us and uh, good luck for those challenges that you've got coming up uh, ahead. Thank you very much. So um, this this is a great success story all the way from the other side of the world. Literally the other side of the world. Yes. <laughs> You're looking at me like I've gone mad. No. So I th I th look, I think it's I think it's a great... I think it's great that he recognises that 10 years ago they would have been viewed as an accounting software business but now they are just a data business uh, and they are well way way beyond the realms of accountancy so as they've gone from what a thousand users and an initial product in New Zealand to what two million businesses yeah. using the platform today they have kind of moved as technology has moved over that 10 year period. So if you kind of explain something to me now so are they there to fill that kind of middle gap for your entrepreneurs, startups, they do the accountancy for those type of businesses. Hmm. Is that that one? Okay. Yeah. And what he said is that they, that space was just so unattended to 
when it came to accountancy software. Well, I was having a conversation with someone else who's been on the show, actually, Sonia Barlow from Like Minded Females, just last week, who was talking about the fact that she has no idea how to go about accountancy. Yeah. And she was using various different solutions. And if you are an entrepreneur, it's really interesting that he talks about, you know, you don't need permission to be an entrepreneur anymore. You absolutely don't. Mm. But there are lots of things that you just don't know how to do. Like, if someone told me, do your tax returns, or, you know, I, I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah. We never taught anything like that, are no. So how, how on earth would you know unless you studied something and mm. specialised in it? So whilst the barriers to entry to these things have absolutely been lowered to this point, there's still a massive knowledge gap in... No, no one sits you down and tells you how to go about building a business. Mm. I really related to him when he started talking about, like, um, these, these kind of small business or entrepreneur or whatever, and when you would do all your accounts or on or, or tax returns or whatever, you'd do them all sitting on a Sunday. That'd be your Sunday job. Yeah. Because so my mom's an entrepreneur and she had a business that one of them failed, the, the other one stopped. And I remember we had like drawers and drawers full of little invoice books. Yeah. And she just had the worst time trying to put all of these things together and it was such a stress on her life. So something like this would have helped. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I was going to ask you, you know, what do you put off to a Sunday afternoon? Personally, it wouldn't be binge bookkeeping. But, no. <laughs> but I mean, it's your company. So you have to do it and you're working your butt off during the week. That's yeah. the only time you have to kind of get all this shit together. My I father... I my dad about it. My dad uh, could do with something like this. Exactly, exactly. So many you little customers. companies. Uh-huh. We should get some commission. You customers. I know. Um, no, my father-in-law ran a limousine business, a limo hire business. That's what his dad does. Really? When I was a kid, it was like a limousine company and now it's just like a... Hard car hire chauffeur company. Oh, so it's yeah, Mike. My father-in-law ran that, ran a business like Mike in Manchester. My dad's name is Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, that's so weird. It's not Michael. They know each other. They might do. They might do. But oh, maybe, (laughs) maybe they were rivals. (laughs) But when they when they when they sold their house, maybe five years ago. They had years, like 20, 30 years worth of diaries full of bookings. And they, they were really worried about throwing all that stuff away because it wasn't online. Because, you know, you can yeah. see how a platform immediately makes life a lot easier because you've not got reams and reams of paperwork and worrying about what if what if the tax man comes knocking at the door yeah, and asks yeah, for proof exactly. of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, it's like you can set reminders and things like that just to, like, to pop up on your phone. Money and, like... in the vacuum cleaner anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how about this idea that we're... Um, we're a bottom-heavy um, economy or a small business economy, 50% of the GDP. I didn't realise it was as much as that. Neither did I. I was yeah. really shocked when he said that. But also, it's something really believable now because, like you say, it's really easy to do and there's a lot of people that are like, oh, that person's making that money. Why can't I do that? Wait, I can. You have an idea? Go for it. Yeah, and so, it's easier because now he was saying like you can ha- like be working your job anyway making money and then on have, the side. have yeah, your yeah. project on the side and it makes hustle. it so much easier so and then eventually your side hustle becomes your yeah and your it's like two hustle. Hustle. like your yeah. mum had two businesses like yeah, you can yeah. have as many as you want it makes sense but you just don't really think about how many yeah no that was an interesting comment kind of well you know that whole future gazing thing is it becomes easier to run a business who's to say you know there, there has to be a finite cap on the amount of entrepreneurs of course there does because not everyone can run a business, I suppose. Yeah. But there is no limit on the number of businesses that you can run as an individual. Mm. But I guess there, there, there will mm. be, at some point, I, a yeah. limit as to how successful they are. Like, it will be limited by, by that. But I like the fact that it's that continued n- narrative of removing friction. Because mm. we had that a couple of weeks ago with legal. And it is the, I think friction is the word that I hear now more often than not when mm. people talk about technology disrupting a market. 
what do they mean by disruption? They they mean just making things easier. easier. Yeah, well, for people to do without exactly. the middleman, like they said. Yeah. And essentially, it just kind of changes the way we do everything. Mm. Get rid of whole industries. Do you think entrepreneurship is a career choice? I think now it is. And actually, mm. I think I think it probably was before, it was before as well. As well. Mm. But I, I don't think it would have been... Is that right, though? Because everything that... I totally get what he's saying. But everything that I've learned through this podcast series is the best businesses are accidental and they are solutions to problems that people have. They are not people going, generally speaking, they are not people I going, I want to yeah. run a business. I suppose um, we had Callum, um, who I interviewed at Web Summit recently, him and his mates, yeah. they talked about the fact that they wanted to run a business having watched The Social Network. Mm. That's a very rare case example. And actually, the business that they ended up building was not... Different. Yeah, yeah exactly. They, they kind of went through a whole load of... So it's still accidental, really. It was still accidental in the end, really. Um, but I, if, if that's the case, how can entrepreneurship be a career choice? You can have the right skills. I suppose you can be interested in it. You can be inquisitive. But unless you have that moment of, oh, here's a genuine problem that I've got an answer mm. to, you're never going to really... I think it was maybe... <clears throat> more in like the previous decades that you could have said that entrepreneurship was a career choice because I know at least with my dad like that was like starting his own company that was his career choice it's not like he accidentally came across a problem and solved it and I think that was definitely more the case because maybe there weren't necessarily as many ways to solve problems without all the technology there so wood for the trees it could be really confusing now because there are so many different ways with permission and the bar with permission being there and the bar being lowered, it's easier to start a business, mm. but therefore there's more competition and it probably takes a bit more thought about what you actually want to do rather than a traditional thing of, oh, well, I'm going to start this business because yeah. actually we I've know that there's a market way. for it. Yeah. 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 Mm. I, I think some people are just born with that kind of, even if they don't do anything about it, they have this idea in their head that I want to own my own company. I've yeah. met a lot of people like that and a lot of people my age, that's kind of their end goal. I want to own my own company. I want to have my own I want to do my own thing. Yeah. And and I think if you if you have a whole bunch of people thinking with that thought process and a problem does come across, I mean, I get what you're saying. You can't say, okay, I'm going to be an entrepreneur now. Yeah. Today. Like, find an idea then first. No, so. yeah. Um, but I do think that a lot of people are think, starting to think a little bit more that way. Why should mm. I make money for someone else when I can do it for myself? Mm. Well, some great thoughts from Gary thank you for coming on the show uh, Evie's mum will be in touch with Zero soon uh, we will go to an advert break and then we will be back for some technology news for your Tuesday morning lunchtime evening see Evie's dad <laughs> I thought you said your mum was interested no it was my mum that's right and, her own oh. and then my dad has the same business well there's lots of customers then fine <laughs> Once a month, Tech Talks opens The Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. Welcome back to Tech Talks. One bit of technology news to round off the show. Uh, this is taken from The Verge, written by Nick Stat, who is at Nick Stat with a double T 
on Twitter if you're interested. Netflix will nearly double the number of French language originals. Oh no, no. Yeah. Oh, bad reaction from Ali. No, no. Because I um I ended up watching some French one that they they did the other day, but they had <laughs> the people were speaking French but English oh, was coming out of their mouths. Oh it was dumb. And it was like bad and I was like, Yeah, oh, dub- no. dubbing is not good. Subtitles are subtitles. Oh yeah. 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 So Netflix today signalled a significant new investment in France, opening um, its new Paris office and a content roadmap that will see the streaming service nearly double the number of French language originals it has produced so far. That's pretty cool. They've got competition from the likes of Disney and HBO. So last July, the number of Netflix customers in the US declined for the first time ever. So therefore, they've had to focus on international um, expansion. On top of that... Uh, because of changes, obviously, with EU law, um, they have to now have at least 30% of all content carried on the platform be originally produced in the region to be in the EU. So 30% of their content has to be EU. So there's going to be a lot more um, in terms of Germany, Italy, and French. uh, German, Italian, and French content, rather. And also the success of things like Narcos, Money Heist, Dark, um, Roma... Obviously, winning the Oscar oh, with a French language film. Great film. Exactly. I think this is a good thing because I'll be perfectly honest. You you kind of seen the trend over the last decade for Marvel and Disney to dominate the cinema, mm-hmm. and people claiming well, there's a lack of ideas and a recycling of of existing yeah. ideas. Actually, where do you tend to see true original, interesting stuff? It tends to be. Foreign filmmakers, foreign mm, ideas, yeah. foreign cinema, yeah, yeah. foreign TV great. series. I think it's just, yeah, it's going to expand so much of what kind of things we're seeing. It's not just going to be the same, like, I don't know, like, rom-coms on there or, like, I don't know, it'll just be different. Well, if you kind of think back to the early days of Netflix, they ended up signing a mega deal with Adam Sandler because he was the star's, he was, sorry, he was the platform's biggest star. So they ended up making a whole load of useless Adam Sandler films. And Adam Sandler can act, but they were all terrible. Mm. But... This all terrible. Yes, but this <laughs> stop. Stop. <laughs> this actually encourages them to make more diverse and interesting content. And mm. you know, streaming. We were talking about the fact that streaming can get it wrong when it's kind of like, oh, hang on, they keep playing this type of music. Therefore, this is the type of music mm-hmm. that they like, which yeah. can be skewed about what you watch or what, what you listen to when you listen to the situation you're listening in. I think actually, they're not just looking at what users are binging on necessarily and giving you a bit more variety mm. right I think it's a great idea it's not relying on algorithms to produce your content yeah they're actually listening to the audience whether it's forced not, not because of guy. legislation yeah. or because of the fact they're losing customers to competitors competition's good they're mm. having to diversify mm. uh, yeah no it's I definitely thing. like that yeah good for them mm. and it'll be good for us yeah. to see something new oh yeah favourite foreign language show or film um Narcos, if that counts, is still American. I don't know if I can look. And then Roma. No, Spanish language. Roma yeah. is a film. Was yeah. incredible. I haven't seen Roma. You, you should watch Roma. it. It's I think good. it actually might be French. But no, not not. Well, Roma's one. not. No. Roma's no, 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 no. The one, the one I like. The one. Oh, I, right. yeah. I think it might be French. I think it is. What's French. it called? Amelie. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, Emily, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, it's the, it's the only French show I've watched. Really? We've watched it. Oh, and March of the Penguins. Was that French? Was that in French? I'm not sure. Bien venu les ch'ti. Okay. French. It's very good. It's, it's a rom-com. 
It's a rom-com. It's a good rom-com. It's very funny. I'll go have a... <coughs> we, were watched a we were forced to watch a film in French class called Jean de Florette. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that? No, but it's, it's famous. It's weird. It's a really weird film. It's gross. I don't I don't want to spoil it for people, but he like he sews a ribbon to his chest where his heart is. Oh cute. It's no, it's very, very straight. He's a weird man. Anyway, we've gone completely off topic, so I think we should probably end the show here. But thank you for joining us. It's not Blue Monday, it's Happy Monday. Ali was very happy at the beginning with the Billy Irish stuff. Yeah. Uh, Gary, thank you very much for being our guest, and we will be back on Friday. Bye. Bye bye.